Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate executive on a quest to help you and me create more space and freedom in our busy, busy lives. Welcome to Late Learner Podcast, where we break down old, tired paradigms. You know, the ones that all of us live in every day, and we discover more modern approaches that just plain work better for you. So what are we late learning today? Well, I've been thinking a lot about identities and how when you get to a certain point in your life and realize you want something different, but the identity that you have worn for decades may feel like an old ratty sweatshirt that has served you well, but it's got holes in it now. It's not really doing its purpose. So today's guest is Heather Chauvang. I think I'm pronouncing that right. She's someone I came across last summer through her hit podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable, and I was utterly captivated with her unique and unconventional style. But also, she has such super simple but effective frameworks, and she is bold AF. She's sharing them all with us today. Heather is a leadership coach, a strategic parenting expert, cancer survivor, and author who helps women find more sustainability, profitability, and ease in business and in life. Exciting, right? And while we cover a lot of topics like energy management, our own capacity, toxic motherhood, and a new twist on an emotional intelligence, we go deep on our shifting identities and what it looks like to let go and rebuild. I know, I know, you're like, Allison, let's get on with it. But first, let's get to the good stuff. What is stuff? It's the surprisingly true, useful, fun fact. And have you heard of the expression, liking gap? The idea that when strangers interact, they're more liked by the other person than they assume. You know, when you meet someone that's like totally cool and you have like a cool interaction and you walk away thinking they probably thought you were weird or not cool. And the research shows that you should assume that people like you. And we are absolutely awful judges of how others think of us. All the research shows that it's under index how people feel about us. So next time your mind is chattering away that you come off dumb or annoying, stop that. Stop it. Stop it. And if we are all assuming we don't really like each other, no wonder we probably feel so lonely and feel like we aren't nurturing new friendships as adults. More on this later as I think I'm going to cover this topic deeper in a future episode. All right, let's get to my chat with Heather Chauvang and be sure to take notes on this one. All right, I'm excited about this. We are here today. I'm going to say this right. We are here with Heather Chauvang. You did Chauvin. it. You did, it. did I do it right? You did it. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. And the reason why I'm so excited to have you is that you turn conventional wisdom on its head. You work in the space of helping with parenting, helping with business coaching. You're an author, a cancer survivor. You have wear a lot of hats. From your perspective, what are successful moms or just moms in general, what are they struggling with the most? Well, I think we all know what 
quote unquote successful people, or I call them professional women raising children because moms, mothering women in general are very nurturing at their core. And it's typically with this overgiver, over nurturing. And we are born and bred to give, 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 and told and taught that taking anything equals bad, equals not good enough. And then, you know, you live your life like that. You get pats on the back of like, look at you. You're amazing. I mean, go to somebody's, I, I literally remember being at somebody's funeral that I knew. And I remember what, why she actually passed. And at her funeral, everyone talking about how much of a hero she was. And all I could literally think about was, I wonder if she would be alive today if she gave back to herself just a little bit. And I'm sure that's connected to my story and my message and all the things, but I just truly believe that success is a feeling that we are after not accomplishments or accolades or awards or how much money is in your bank account. You know, we all deserve those things, but do we, the way that we get there doesn't have to feel like completely exhausted and depleted all the time. You can do it in a way that's in aligned with or alignment with how you want to feel. So as you were talking about feeling, and this is something that you talk about a lot, I'm addicted to the feeling, right? Like I want to feel a different way. Mm -hmm. There's an immediate sense that comes up in me that's like, is that selfish? Why is it about me feeling versus mm -hmm. being? So can you unpack it for us a little bit? Yeah. So going back a little bit to even just give you a bigger picture of like my personal story. So I became a mom when I was 18 years old. I now have three boys. They're almost 19, 14, and 11. And motherhood was, as you could imagine, like the first thing, my first holy shit moment. It was the first thing that cracked me open. And I just remember having this feeling of, I don't want to become a statistic. Like, I don't want to fail you as a child. I don't want to fail as my primal responsibility as a mother. And that like primal instinct kicked in. And then what happened was I like, so pre-motherhood, I was this underachiever. I was chronically depressed, under-motivated. I didn't know that I would be considered highly sensitive or intuitive. Um, my, I learned things differently. So I, I was not an achiever by any means, like A-plus student. I was the opposite of that. So when I became a mother, I literally was like, oh my gosh. And it put a fire under my ass and I started doing the things. I started checking all the boxes. I went and got a university degree. I didn't even have university credits in high school, but I used my critical thinking, sneaky problem solving skills to figure out how to get into a university, figured it out. I was doing all the things, but I was becoming incredibly like overwhelmed and exhausted as you could imagine, as people say, oh yeah, you're a mother. Like you have a small child. What do you expect? But I went and sought help. This is the frustrating part. Like I went to therapy. I went to the doctors. I was reading the books and the feedback I was getting from these professionals was like, suck it up, buttercup. This is life. Mm. Like there was no yeah. practical sense. So I had this experience of like feeling like I was internally dying. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, not this, not this, not this. Like there's, I could see in the future, there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. And I was seeking support, but nobody could help me. Then I'm reading these like personal development books and they're so far removed from like my real life that I'm like, I need practical. I can't figure this out. I don't have time to meditate. Can't slow down my brain. Yeah, I'm journaling, but like, what the hell is that? So then I continue on my journey. I'm hustling. I'm getting, I got my degree, became a social worker, um, working with children, loving my job and hating my job at the same time. And then decide I want to go out Hmm. on my own. So I continue doing this and I am so exhausted inside again, being told this is adulthood, suck it up. And I'm like, not this, not this, not this. There has to be another way. Then I'm diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And when I was diagnosed at that point, Allison, I had nine years of personal development under my belt. And I had mentorship. I had mentors that I was hiring. I went to the retreats. I did the things. I was reading the books. And everyone's talking about feeling good, manifestation, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, and like, I'm a mother. I have bills to pay. Like, I don't understand this. How do you feel good all the time? I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to eat. I don't have whatever. And when I do, that's not like transforming my life. So again, doing anything for myself at that time felt selfish. And sometimes it still does. But I didn't realize that by neglecting my needs mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and like, if you looking in hindsight, if I was observing myself, I knew I was going to crash and burn, but my body gave out. And so when I was diagnosed, I finally was like, there has to be another way. Clearly what I'm doing is not working. And then I had to start reverse engineering how I wanted to feel with still with the story that feeling good equals selfish. But when Hmm. I started giving back to myself, I realized, holy crap, my relationships are improving. My children's behavior and mental health are improving. I'm making a bigger impact in other people's lives. Wow. Our financial situation is getting better. So that was the buy-in of like, this is not all about me. Why, like, that story no longer served me. First of all, good Lord, you have been through it. And I'm wondering what in your brain has you kind of buck the conventional wisdom that you are investing in mentorship and manifestation and all of the things, right? I wonder about the personal development space. There's a lot of bullshit, right? Like, there's a lot of unhelpful bullshit. What about all of that, had you say, this does not seem right? Well, ironically, I think this actually comes from the type of learning style that I am and how I kind of lost trust in people at an early age in my life. And I don't know a part of my brain, but I do know that I was always a questioner and a little bit of a rebel. So as a child, you know, when the teacher's like, do this assignment, I'm like, but why? Like, what's the bigger value here? Like, why? You know, if you don't get that A plus, and I'm like, 
but why? Like I would just always question <laughs> everything. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't see, I didn't see the value. And I always liked to be a little bit of a rebel. I like to be different. Like I will actually buy things when they're not popular. Like the opposite. If everyone, my husband makes this joke that I'm like, do not buy me a Yeti mug. Like I will not drink out of a Yeti mug. If you want to be like, hey, I'm a middle-aged white woman, you are drinking out of a Yeti mug or a Stanley. (laughs) I will not do it. And I'm like such a rebel, such a rebel, like just to rebel against it. I will pay 10 times more for a mug that doesn't have the name on it. It makes no logical sense. So I think that rebel inside of me, that questioner really did keep me alive because it wasn't just about the whole personal development space, but it also helped me in my health career or my health career. Well, essentially it's been a career, take care of my health, but like my health journey as well, but personal development, I'm like, okay, if I have to do this, like I'm not feeling any different. What's going on here? Like, where's the dissonance here? Like, where is the connection? And then I'm also the type of person that If I want to learn a skill or if I want to learn something, I know that what I'm learning is from one brain, one person, one philosophy, one belief system. So then I get to learn from different people and then pay attention to the through line. So if I'm seeing a through line, I can take that as certainty and then create my own system around it. So that's kind of my philosophy. I love it. So let's talk about your systems because- I want to talk about energetic time management. And this honestly was the hook for me. So when I found you and I heard this and I'm like, that's exactly it. Can you tell us about energetic time management? Yeah. So in a nutshell, it is about reverse engineering how you want to feel. So if you read any book, any, anything out there, At the core, people are talking about a feeling like feel good, feel good. Then we get into this culture of like spiritually bypassing your, all your feelings and feeling like people, the reason why my book or not my book, my podcast is called emotionally uncomfortable is because if you want to feel the joy, you also need to feel the sadness. You need to feel the grief. Like it, like life goes up and down. We need to feel both, but culturally we're taught there's bad feelings and there's good feelings. Feelings are feelings. Some we're going to enjoy more than others. So energetic time management was this. I took everything that I learned and I, Danielle Laporte, I sing from the rooftops about her because she had a book come out right around my time of diagnosis and it was called The Desire Map. And what I took away from that was it's not the thing you're after, it's the feeling. That was it. It's not the thing you're after, it's the feeling. So Someone wants a new house. Why? Why do you want a new house? What is the feeling that you're after? You definitely get to work towards the new house. You want more money. You want to feel different in your body. You want new clothes. You want a new car. Like all the material things or external goals that were traditionally kind of taught to um, to create, great. But it's not the thing you're after. It's the feeling. So once you understand that concept, okay, I want more space. I want to feel more abundant. I want to feel lighter in my skin. I want to feel free. I want to feel energized. Then we get to live our lives in alignment with how we want to feel. So now we're starting to ask ourselves, 
How does this feel to me? Rather than I have this long ass to-do list that I need to get done and we become robotic and then we're very disconnected from our emotional body. Mm. So I started asking myself, how do I want to feel? Well, I wanted to feel alive. Like at that time when I started talking about energetic time management and creating the strategy, um, and there is a step-by-step, I talk about it a lot on my website and podcast. I'm just taking a sip of water, but it's not complicated. What is actually complicated is the follow through and consistency, because this is where I see a lot of people get stuck because I there's actually something I call the 10 minute habit. So I took this concept, broke it down. I'm like, you have to do this one thing that's in alignment with how you want to feel for 10 minutes a day. And they're like, I can't do that. Like, no, it's got to be 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 minutes a day. I'm like, see how you're already sabotaging, like making it how harder. you want to feel yeah. like you're already overcomplicating a concept because you refuse to feel the messy middle. You refuse to feel the feelings in the middle. So I literally started to retrain my brain of, okay, Heather, you want to feel alive. You want to feel strong. You want to feel energized. Well, here you are, bald, sick, miserable, and crying in fetal position. What would an alive person do? What would a strong person do? And a strong person would probably just get up and take a shower. That's it. That's all you got to do for the day, 10 minutes. Okay, next day, get up, take a shower, go sit on the porch and get some fresh air. And slowly, it's like changing this mental current, this emotional current. You're Mm. just like one one degree better changing it. And then eventually, once you're gaining momentum, you start communicating differently. I'm like, how do I want to feel when I'm communicating with this person? I want to feel connected. So my words come out different. My emails are different. It's transformed my life and every relationship I have. You talked about the 10-minute habit. Can you explain what it is? And then I have follow-up on it. Yeah. So I'll give you the process right now. Step one is I write down this question, wouldn't it be nice if I do this all the time? Like people are like, what tools do you have? I'm like, stop asking what additional tools, just keep rinsing and repeating things that have worked for you. This has worked for Hmm. me forever. Wouldn't it be nice if give yourself five minutes timer, you write it out, put it on a piece of paper and you're just like free flow. Wouldn't it be nice if I had a glass of water? Wouldn't it be nice if the sun was out? Wouldn't it be nice if blah, blah, blah. I didn't have to cook dinner. You write down all your desires, free write. Then ask yourself from the list, what are the feelings that I'm after? It's not the thing, it's the feeling. I want to feel light. I want to feel joyful. I want to feel energized. I want to feel alive. Okay. Now ask yourself, what's stopping me from doing those things? Why don't I feel alive? Why don't I feel? And then that's where we call them You can call them excuses. You can call them blocks, but those are just mountains. Those are just things you have to go up and over. Those are things that you have to work through. Traditionally, we want to, it could be resistance, but we want to turn away from the work, like the things we're avoiding. We just want to keep avoiding the mountains, but we can't, we have to run through them. And so I look at what is blocking me or what do I tell myself I don't have And then I'm like, okay, we're going to push that to the side. I know that crap's going to trigger me. If I say I don't have time or my kids get in the way, yeah, it's easy to put your children in the way because it's a culturally, socially acceptable thing to do. So then if I want to feel alive or energized and I'm asking myself, what 
feels, what, when do I feel energized? And it could be something as simple as I brain dump in the morning on my, on a piece of paper. I get really overwhelmed. So I wake up, I write out all my thoughts on a piece of paper, or I brain dump at night before bed, or I go for a 10 minute walk. Um, you pick one task. I mean, you have a lot of things you need to do, but you're picking one thing that's aligned with something, a feeling that's going to get you closer to a feeling and you do it for 10 minutes a day. And then if you want to do more, great, but at minimum, try to make it 10 minutes. And then once that's done, you add something else and you add something else and you add something else until you create this capacity for more, like more energy, more aliveness, more abundance. I love that you are kind of blending the edges of what we think is possible. And so this morning I was, I, I literally carved out 10 minutes of time. I put a timer on my phone and I wrote out, wouldn't it be nice if, and then I put the feelings and I was like, I really want to understand, do I feel differently? And as I was putting this down, at some point, initially when I'm putting down, wouldn't it be nice if, it felt like, oh, I wish I did have these things. And then when I started to kind of shift to what are the feelings associated with it? So I have freedom of choice, feeling supported, wanderlust, togetherness, ease, abundance, legacy, transformation, peace, relief. I mean, these are things where I started to feel better immediately. Mm -hmm. So I get it. I, I now I'll shout it from the rooftops on it. But what an incredible gift to give yourself to at least take that 10 minutes of time, if nothing else, to give yourself permission mm -hmm. to ask for what you want. You had mentioned the word capacity of expanding the capacity. But I also feel like sometimes we limit our own capacity. Are we addicted to overwhelm? Mm. I think the brain is. I think we have to distinguish. I a lot of my like path, I've really had to say this isn't me when I'm sabotaging or when I'm constantly going back. Like this is my brain. My brain is designed to keep me alive. It is designed to keep things familiar. It is not designed to help me thrive. Hey, it's Allison. Thanks for listening. Did you know that the ideas shared in this episode are something I can help you implement in your own life? You can accelerate the outcomes you truly desire when you have someone pulling up a chair right beside you and saying, you know what? Let's do this together. Schedule a free exploratory call with me at allisonhair.com forward slash schedule. So the brain will always have a negativity bias and go back to the quote unquote comfort zone or familiar zone, which is why when people are in therapy and they're like, look at these patterns, why am I having these patterns and these relationships? Because it's familiar. It's what you know. So when, you know, if you're familiar with chronic overwhelm, if you're familiar with chronically feeling like shit and then you want to feel abundant and alive and all the things I'm telling you right now, if that happened tomorrow, you would be terrified. You would probably have a panic attack. I mean, think about when people win the lottery, right? Or when someone loses their job or like they, they just don't feel safe anymore. That's your brain being like, what is going on here? 
So yes, overwhelm can become an addiction. And when you can see it that way and you have this belief that like change is possible, like changing my brain is possible and I'm going to do that through my actions, it's not all or nothing, 10 minutes at a time. I also think we're very, very, we live in a culture that is all or nothing, zero to 10. And there's nothing sexy in the mundane, boring work. This year, I have like practiced so hard to fall in love with the mundane and that is sustainable huh. and be so proactive instead of reactive. And it is such a game What does changer. that mean? I, I need you to take me into this. What does it mean to be, fall in love with the mundane? Mm. Why is that important? So you look online and you see people like traveling the world, right? And yeah. you're like, oh my God, how do they afford that? How do, how are they living their lives? Like, oh my gosh, that looks perfect. I want that. Now I look and I'm like, I do not want that. I've talked to so many people. Well, one, I've had opportunity where I'm like traveling a lot to beautiful places. And I'm like, I just want to be home. And I'm like, what, what is this busyness? Like, what is this? So the mundane actually kind of came about with, I really tried to work on my food habits and my workout habits. And I also embarked on a 75 hard. I don't know if you're familiar with go girl. Yeah, of course. So I am. I, this this was before, but I also watching and observing it. I was like, "What is this sabotage that's coming up?" And I'm like, "This is boring." When things get boring to our brain, we want to like make them more exciting. But like eating food every day doesn't always have to be exciting. Working out every day doesn't always have to be exciting. I'll tell you right now, parenting every day is not exciting. Work every day is not exciting. So when I like was slowly, slowly, slowly training my brain to do the things that I didn't want to do. And I was sandwiching them with things that actually gave me energy. It was a game changer. So it was like pairing both together, but I can now be like, I'm content. I'm satisfied with the mundane. Like this winter, everyone's like, where are you going? What are you doing? And I'm like, one, it's a privilege to say, where are you going or what are you doing? And I'm like, why can't I just enjoy a crappy winter season in my small <laughs> town? And I don't, I can just learn to love the darkness, learn to love the winter and just let it be and have a really solid season where you're just focused on the crap you don't want to do and rinse and repeat it's fascinating to watch and observe like how I've evolved over time. I wanted to run away from winter because it was so uncomfortable here. And maybe I still will, but I don't want to run away anymore. It's like the cherry on top. I think it's interesting that your podcast and, and part of your branding is emotionally uncomfortable and putting yourself in these situations. And is it like, what does emotionally uncomfortable mean to you? So before I believed that discomfort was bad. There's a difference between stretching yourself because you're emotionally uncomfortable to like learning a new skill and stepping into like a vulnerable territory versus I'm uncomfortable because I'm chronically overwhelmed and I have so much on my plate, like the growth edge. And my actual podcast used to be called Mom is in Control. And then I never liked that title. 
I kept it for a very long time because I've been podcasting forever. And then I outgrew the title and I'm like, I am more than mom. I am so much more than that. And I dropped it and I'm like, what the message hasn't changed, but I'm like, what am I teaching women? They, they're a mom. They want to be in control of their lives. And I'm like, control isn't a feeling. Yeah. It's a coping strategy. Mm. And I'm like, what do they need to do in order to get the result that they truly desire? And I'm like, they have to be willing to feel. If you want to feel the joy, you have to be willing to feel the fear or the grief or the sadness. And that is emotionally uncomfortable. And if you want to feel really, really proud of yourself, you have to face the things that you don't think you're capable of doing. And that's emotionally uncomfortable. So it means so many things. I think I saw something with you being, maybe it was like a cold plunge and it said all day running co. <laughs> have you done 29029? Yeah. Have you yeah. have you done it? I did it this year, yeah. Congratulations. Which yes. one did you do? <laughs> Snow Basin. Wow. So we did Snow Basin and it was like August. I feel like my brain has passed that trauma. I've also signed up for next year too. <laughs> of course. I'm crazy like that. Yeah, and tw- for the listener, twenty nine oh twenty nine is uh, is climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest, where um, a group mm-hmm. of people have started a company of essentially extreme endurance events that are really community based and support based, and just have you stretch your limits. Yeah. Okay. So I was never like this as a child. Barely didn't do anything, like was not athletic at all. I remember once I ran around the block with my friend and I got sick <laughs> and she still brings this up to this day. She's like, you were the least athletic person ever. And I always like, you know, the, wouldn't it be nice list yeah. on that list was like, wouldn't it be nice if I could run a marathon? And I remember wanting to run a marathon pre-diagnosis, like pre-cancer And after I went through that process, I looked at my doctor and I said, can I run now? Because I thought, well, you know, going through treatment, that is an endurance event in itself. And I'm like, if I can do that, I can do other hard, emotionally uncomfortable things. I actually don't believe in hard things. I don't like that term. We can do hard things. And I'll tell you in a second why. But after that, then I ran a marathon and I wasn't the first to win. I was in the back of the pack, but I did it and I just kept showing up and I thought, oh, if I can do that, I can do something else. And so once in a while I'm doing these things. And last year I signed up for this 29029. It's 36 hours. You had to go up snow basin mountain uh, 13 times. So you go up once, you come down a gondola and you have 36 hours to do it. I got 10 rounds, 13 rounds was the, the end. And then you get a red hat. And you learn so much about yourself. I wanted to give up on six. Oh. So I had to give up. I wanted to give up on six. I had actually somebody on my team with me and she's like, let's go. I got back up. I kept going. Um, I probably could have squeaked out 11, but I wanted to give up like so much more before. And it just shows you what you're capable of when you think you're not capable. And you push yourself in this corner of like, I can't, there's the only way out is through. And so every time I'm putting myself in those types of situation, I gain confidence in myself. I gain self-trust. 
So then when I have to have hard conversations in my business or my work or my family or with my kids, I'm like, this is so easy. This is so easy. And it's created more capacity, more like capacity to hold big emotions and not even just mine, other people's. Like I can sit in front of people and I've been able to do this for a while, but I can sit in front of people who are like, throwing everything at me and just being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so messed up. And I'm like, I got you. It's okay. Hmm. And they're like, wow, like I feel so held. And I'm like, that's because I have created the space to hold my big emotions and we cannot give what we haven't given ourselves yet. Okay. So two things are coming to me here. So I'm thinking about you knew yourself as a child of, of being somebody that wasn't smart, didn't fit in. You were not athletic. I'm, I'm using your words. I'm not saying that's how you were, but like you, you had an identity, right? And then all of a sudden your identity shifts. And I think what's coming up a lot is about the identity transitioning from one identity to another and how the familiar aspect of the identity that you have, and then increasing your capacity by doing things that are maybe against the grain or against the familiar, just doing new. Like I'm a neophyte. I love new experiences. It always stretches me. It always keeps me learning. And I think people who listen to the show are similar. They're people that care about the world around us. We care about people. We care about leaving a great legacy and, and doing good in the world. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to transition from one identity to another? And how do we embrace it with courage instead of settling back into the comfort zone on the lazy boy chair? And it's a nice little escape and you've built this good life for yourself. Why isn't this enough? For me, that's one, a bag of chips is my comfort zone, Netflix and a big bag of chips. And just (laughs) that's the cozy space for me. And I'm telling you right now, we still need the comfort. We're allowed to have those moments, but- Don't get too comfortable because that's where we start to go backwards. I don't even remember what your question is, but the only thing that is coming up for me, so you can, you can tell me that in a second, the question, I am so grateful that I am not normal and that I was not normal. Like I am so grateful. I am so happy that it's funny that what used to be a, weakness of mine as a child is now a strength and how things flip as you, as you get older. What was your question? I was transitioning from one identity to another. Am I allowed to take a different path? Am I allowed to step out of what is expected of me? So identity shifting is actually a death. And there's a, it's a grieving process. And I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, I, I've, had, I've changed my identity probably every year. Like it's constant. You're like Madonna. I'm so <laughs> yeah, I love to challenge myself that I'm like, oh, wow. Like if I look 12 months from now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that person, she's dead. She's gone. But I, there was a few different times that I remember specifically that I was like leaving. Like I've done a lot of inner work, hypnosis, doing all the things. And one was when I could feel myself leaving toxic motherhood, like the identity of that. What is toxic motherhood? Um, I kind of, so like checking the box of like, 
I'm not going to be a martyr. I'm not going to use my children to, to block my own happiness hmm. and fulfillment. I'm not going to blame my children. You just see it. You see it online. You see it advertised everywhere. Like mommy juice, overconsumption of caffeine. Like look how the bags under my eyes, look what my children did to me. It's a very toxic conversation and women are drowning in it and they're actually trying to seek support, but yet they're just trying to mask it with humor. So I remember like physically leaving that and then like unfollowing people and then, you know, having conversations with friends and being like, I can't even engage in a conversation with you because I don't agree anymore. And I, I just, ah, how are you doing? Like, are you suffering and struggling and barely above mm. water like me? And I'm like, actually, I'm not. And that's okay if you're struggling. But there was, they were trying to seek connection through that and I couldn't anymore. So I could feel that identity. You, you just feel it. And then there was a few other times too. I had like pretty hardcore depression, like pre-motherhood and then early on in motherhood and trying to get out of it always thinking this is going to be my life and that I'm always going to, you know, there's something wrong with me. And I, I just, as I continued to focus on how I wanted to feel and challenge myself and not push too far because then I would burn out, but strengthen my body, leaving that identity. And I, I had a moment, I don't know how long ago it was. I think I was like doing a hypnotherapy session or some type of breath work. And I saw that version of me and she was like, dragging herself. And I was like, so grateful for her, like that version of me. And I was crying and I'm like, it's okay to go. And that feeling that I had, I could really feel myself stepping into my new self or my current self fully. But it was like the grief of letting her go was literally the same feeling I've had when I've lost like somebody I really, really care about physically. Mm. So I think we mm. have to be honest with ourselves that we got to feel the grief in order to feel the joy of person we want to become. You're highly sensitive, aren't you? Mm. Yeah. I but I know how to manage it well now. I think about something that comes up a lot in your work is emotional intelligence. And I think Many people assume, and, and again, I'm, I'm learning this, I don't really know the answer. When somebody is emotionally intelligent, you think maybe you can read a room, right? Like you can feel the vibes. But I think in mm -hmm. your context and your lexicon, it's different. It is more about courage. Can you help me understand what mm -hmm. that means? And how can we use, if we have emotional intelligence, not to feel like we have some psychic ability over walking in a room and feeling like the vibes are off, <laughs> got to get out of here. But like, how can we use it mm -hmm. as a force for good? There's so many ways, but I'm, there's one in particular situation that happened today. So I get on Zoom with a team member and I can instantly tell her energy is off. I can see it in her face. And I say are you okay? I didn't say, cause you look like shit today. No, I, <laughs> I hate when people say that. I'm like, are you, I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. So then I can tell she's trying to push through a feeling. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. She says she's fine. I know she's lying to me, but she's fine. 
Emotionally, I can read that and I can feel it. I'm not discounting her feeling and saying, don't have feelings. So I could feel that energy. We have another meeting throughout the day, the feelings getting worse and worse. And I say something, it triggers her. She gets mad. I say something and she is reacting to it. So emotional intelligence is knowing that one, her reaction has nothing to do with me. Her reaction is what is going on within her. And it's it's a, a symptom and a clue for her to do inquiry of like, what did I just trigger inside of you? So I say something to her, I trigger her, whatever's inside of her, it comes up and out. So it might be sadness, it might be anger, it might be frustration. I didn't make her angry. I triggered the anger that was already inside of her. And then anger might be a mask. So maybe under the anger, it's sadness. So I didn't trigger, I didn't make her sad or disappoint her. That was already there. So I'm triggering a wound. Now the courage piece is when I don't just say, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. When I take a step back and then I have the courage to have the uncomfortable conversation to realign the energy and say, what's really going on here? You've been off for a while. And then when she goes, nothing, nothing, nothing. And now I am getting triggered or angry or resentful. And I'm like, what is this resentment? And I'm like, I don't feel like respected. Well, if I'm going to align with my feelings and I want to feel respected and supported, she probably needs the same thing. So let's have this courage conversation. So then I go in Hmm. and I'm like, let's sit in our, let's both sit in our emotional discomfort until the energy, I say energy, but until we kind of clear the air. And we did that today. And I triggered her, let's say at two o'clock and by 2.30, the problem was solved and we moved on. So it's like, if we have more courage to do that, we're not stewing. You know, people talk about things like so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, when did that happen? They're like 10 years ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, like emotionally, you're hanging on to things that aren't even true and they're not even yours to hang on. So it's actually courageous to not only lean in to the emotional discomfort in these relationships, but also like within ourselves of, oh my gosh, I said I was going to go for that walk today. I haven't done it. It's courageous to put your shoes on. It's courageous to say, no, thank you. I don't have the capacity, you know, for another holiday event. Like it's the courage is leaning into the discomfort that you know how you want to feel is on the other side of it. Ah, I want to pause right here because if I have my finger on the pulse of people of this community, what I have noticed, and this is coming up a lot, is important relationships that people have in their lives. I will say most likely relationship with a boss or relationship with a friend that maybe that friendship has evolved into something that it no longer was what it was. And what happens Mm -hmm. if people are listening is the resentment, right? The resentment is typically unaddressed conflict. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of power that if you're hearing this today and you have something on your heart, 
I think people shy away because it's uncomfortable and you could trigger and it could, it could change the relationship versus it's probably me. I'm just being in my head. And I think there is a power and a courage in that. And I think this is really powerful. And Heather, I think just your position of giving permission to open your mouth and say, let's talk about what's really going on, even if it gets uncomfortable, even if I'm wrong. I want to create mm -hmm. the space where you're safe and where I'm safe. And that's powerful. I see everything as managing energy. For me, like I know you say you're like, you're you're probably highly you know sensitive. I'm like, yes. But I think of everything as chronic decluttering. We are hoarders as humans. Yeah. Like when I just want to go, it's the end of the year. We're in the season. Well, we're recording at that time. We're in the season of like, you know, new year, new you, which is BS. But I want to go through every cupboard and be like, you know, Marie Kondo, it doesn't bring me joy, doesn't bring me joy, get rid of it, get rid of it. But we hang on to things. And I just said this to my oldest. I was like, go through your closet and get rid of 80% of your crap. You don't even wear it. And he's like, well, then I'm not going to have any clothes. And I'm like, but why are you hanging on to them if you're not going to wear them anyways? I'm like, we hang on to shit mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So you have to have the courage to just let it go. And however you process that, sometimes you're writing it out. Sometimes you're thinking about it. Sometimes you're having those conversations. Sometimes you can't have those conversations, but you need to get in the practice of letting it go in the sense of like process quickly, because if you are not going to process quickly, you're hanging on to that. And then one day it just explodes. And then you realize, oh my goodness. I was telling myself so many stories and it created this disconnect in a relationship when in reality, the other person was like, Hey, what, what happened? They didn't return my text message. Yeah. And they were just waiting for you to text them back. And you, you like created a whole new story over here. And so sometimes we just need to declutter our thoughts, our beliefs, our literal clothes and, I'm always, always, I like, I know we've talked about a lot today and I am always asking myself, how do I want to feel and what do I need to do to get me closer to that feeling? And sometimes the answer is have that emotionally uncomfortable conversation. And then you just have to have the courage to go in that direction. I think it's also a reframe of what a release and relief could feel like of just being honest. And, you know, I have a friend of mine who is really different from me, but we deeply, deeply, deeply care about each other. I'm super extroverted. She is bananas introverted. And so often we might have, I don't know if it's miscommunication, but every time we'll say, hey, I didn't like that. Here's why. And we'll say, here's what it meant. And our friendship just grows deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper roots because we know that we are there for each other. We love each other and we just have different languages of communicating, but we were there. And I think there's a power in that too. What do you know that you wish other people could know? <sighs> that everything you're searching for is on the other side of feeling good. And what you, the work you're avoiding doing is exactly your key to freedom. And 
Yeah. You don't need to buy in to any cultural belief of who you need to be. And that's okay. Sometimes you need that permission. And this podcast is called Late Learner. What have you learned lately that you were wrong about? Hmm. Making money is hard. Mm, I like that. I truly believe that the easier, like I'm, I'm just obsessed with asking myself, how easy can I make this? How good can I get? And who do I know that's better at this? And becoming an expert in surrounding myself with really smart people and asking for help. I know I'll take action. If I have a desire for something and I can find somebody who can help me fulfill that desire, that is the secret. Like that's the easy part. I don't need to be the expert. Whew, that's powerful. Uh, you know, like this is a place to take a lot of notes. Heather, how do people get in touch with you? So I hang out a lot on my podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. You can find all, I have so many free resources, quizzes, where to focus your energy and attention first on my website, Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com. My book's over there. We have merch, all the things. Just go check out my website. It is very rich with content. There is a lot of free resources. Heather, thank you so much for your work. It's important. And thank you for speaking to our audience today. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Allison. Uh, I loved how practical and simple Heather's frameworks for how to feel better are. Again, her name is Heather Chauvin. It's spelled C-H-A-U-V-I-N. And I've linked her info in the show notes. And as for you, are you part of the new New Year Challenge? You know, where you do one new thing every single day. It's like totally changing lives. And I am so jazzed about it. And it's free. You can go to allisonhair.com forward slash new new and download it right away. And as always, thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, will you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps me create a better show for you. And also it helps other people find this really powerful, life-changing information. Thanks for listening. And until next episode, I'll see you on the socials.